This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. have to wipe this. It seems like every, uh, every Sunday when I go home, I've got stuff here from other kids and slobber and, and other stuff as well. Um, would you please go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Today is the third lesson in our series called Restart. And I don't know about you, but I am loving this series. I'm loving my research time and 
and I'm having to dig deep in my own life, but uh, we began this series uh, three weeks ago by saying that everything in life has a starting point. Even you had a starting point. Uh, most of you were started on purpose. A few of you maybe were an accident. And there are a couple of you that I can think of were probably a mistake. No, not really. Just, just kidding. God makes no mistakes. We're glad that all of you got started. But, but everything has a starting point. However, when it comes to our faith, many people seem to forget that. They think that, that you can just kind of inherit your faith from your parents or, you know, our faith is automatically given to us because we're American citizens that live in a very religious part of our country called the Bible Belt. But not so. Our faith, our relationship with Jesus Christ has to have a starting point. There must be a time when we make a firm decision that we're going to follow Christ with every part of our being and we ask forgiveness of our sins and accept Him as our Savior. But then the premise for this series is that there are those times when our faith seems to get lost in the rearview mirror. And our relationship with Jesus becomes dry and, and it becomes mechanical and, and, and more like a tradition more like a religion than a vibrant reality. So, so every once in a while, I believe almost all of us, probably all of us, we need to hit the restart button and get back on track again. Now, the first week we discovered that the foundation or the starting point for our faith um, is Jesus Christ. Uh, if you ever begin to devote most of your spiritual energy to championing or preserving a particular dress code or a set of rules or debating conservative versus liberal or Republican versus Democrat or King James versus NIV or contemporary music versus hymns, whatever. If that's the extent of your Christianity, if that's what saps your spiritual energy, then you probably need to hit restart and go back to Jesus Christ. Well, in the second lesson last week, we talked about a little word that, that, that if you're going to hit restart, you're going to bump, bump up against this word, and that's the word sin. And we talked about how sin is different than a mistake. A mistake takes place when you don't realize what you're doing. A, a mistake is something you make on a math test. A, a mistake is something that you do when you're cooking and you burn the food. A mistake is making the wrong turn. But sin, according to James chapter 4, verse 17, goes deeper than a mistake. Sin is doing something even though you know it's wrong, but you do it anyway. And we said that to take care of a mistake, you simply correct it. Fix the math error. Go around the block. Get on the right road. Correct it. And if it's affected someone else, apologize. However, taking care of a sin goes beyond just simply correcting it. You must admit that you're not just a mistaker. Rather, you're a sinner. Today, I want to talk about another issue that's very important if we're doing a restart in our spiritual life. And, and to get us moving in the right direction, we're going to, first of all, go on a little scenic tour where I want to give you some religious history. But then that's going to segue, that's going to lead us into the book of Genesis, where we will look at a very short but powerful phrase that will give us insight if we're going to do a spiritual restart. Let's roll. 
Many of you would know that uh, three of the largest faith traditions in the world are Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Now, obviously, in, in many, many aspects, these three religious faiths are very different from each other. However, each of these also have some similarities. For example, all three of these religious groups believe that there is a single God that created the heavens and the earth. Most other religions are polytheistic. They, they believe that there are multiple gods. You know, Hinduism, they believe there's, what, 30, 40 million different gods. Everything's a god. Everybody's a god. But Christianity, Islam, Judaism believe there's only one God. Something else. All, all three of these religions also believe that the, the first man on earth was named Adam. And, and something interesting that you may or may not know is that Islam teaches, teaches that Adam was not only the first man, but he was also the first Muslim as well as the first Muslim prophet. Even though uh, Islam really didn't come around until 600 years after Christ... But yet they still say that Adam was a Muslim. Furthermore, all three of these religions believe that God essentially created a perfect world. But then human beings came along and they messed up everything in this perfect world. One more thing where these three major faith traditions come together on. They come together around a man. That they believe that approximately 4,000 years ago, God began interacting with a man to start correcting the ills of this world. And this man's name was Abraham. But what is super interesting to me is this. Yes, the three largest faith traditions come together around Abraham. But what is really fascinating to me is that Abraham is also where these three faith traditions separate. At Abraham, Islam goes one direction. At Abraham, Judaism and Christianity, they went another direction and then they separated. Now, today for our lesson, we're going to pick up a conversation recorded in the book of Genesis between God and Abraham. And this conversation will help shed some light on a question that, that I think all of us have wrestled with. Regardless of where we are in our faith, if, if we're a veteran of, of the faith, if we're a newbie, if, if we're somewhere in between, I have a feeling that all of us have wrestled with this universal question, a question I've wrestled with. Can we, can we for sure know if we're in a right standing with God? I mean, is this kind of a guessing game, a hope so situation where that will only be revealed to us after we die? Can we know in this life if we are truly right with God? Now, in the scripture that will walk us through our lesson today, from our perspective, God was in a dilemma. Now, understand God's never in a dilemma. He, he knows all things. He's never blindsided. He has everything under control. He never has to say, oops, I wasn't expecting that. But from our human perspective, sometimes, in a sense, it almost appears that God is in kind of a dilemma. And here, in the book of Genesis, it almost appears that way because God had created mankind, put them in an essentially perfect world, but His children proceeded to make a royal mess out of this beautiful and orderly creation. And so from our perspective, it's almost like God was in a dilemma because He had a decision to make. And if you would allow me in kind of a crude Cedar County way, 
I would like to tell a real-life, modern-day story to partially help us understand this dilemma, even though, obviously, it's on a much less significant scale. About a week and a half ago, one evening, I was sitting at the kitchen table. And I don't remember for sure what I was doing, probably eating a bowl of ice cream, because that happens to be one of my favorite hobbies. I do that a lot. You know, the Bible says man cannot live by bread alone. And uh, I've inserted in there, he needs a little bit of ice cream. And, 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 and by the way, this is totally off, but I've discovered this new kind of ice cream called elephant tracks. Anybody discovered that yet? Oh, my word. You know, I've always been a big fan of bunny tracks and, and moose tracks. But elephant, elephant tracks takes it to a completely different level. I believe this will be the dessert at the Mary's Supper of the Lamb. It is just amazing. But all of a sudden, while I was minding my own business, I, I, I heard a voice of desperation coming from my wife who was behind me near the kitchen sink. And she had this sense of urgency about her as she yelled, Joe, help me. Well, I jumped up and looked over to where she was. And there was my wife of nearly 34 years. And she had created one horrible mess. There was a large water bottle, and I don't mean one of these little water bottles that you buy at the store, but this was a large refillable water bottle used for hiking or biking, and, and this water bottle had been filled to the brim, and she somehow knocked over the water bottle, spilled every single drop of water under the counter, and our desk butts up against the counter, and it's a few inches lower, and so the water spilled over onto the desk. Now... Before I tell you any more, um, I, I have to say, at least in her mind, the blame came back to me. Guys, you know what I'm talking about there. Um, because I had used this water bottle during my bike ride, and for my bike rides, I normally put Gatorade in it because I need that little extra oomph as I'm riding my bike. And, and then when I get home... You know, I, I, I dump out the ice and, and the rest of the Gatorade, fill the water bottle with water so that it won't taste like Gatorade. And it makes sense. That's what I do every time. And so I had filled the water bottle on the counter, and I guess I had not put the lid on. But why would you put the lid on? Nobody's going to spill it. <laughs> so, guys, do you kind of understand why the blame came back to me on that? Yes. <laughs> But anyway, somehow, some way, she dumped the entire water bottle on the counter. Water went everywhere. We had some bank documents on the counter. We had credit card documents. We'd take care of Gabe and Erica's finances while they were in Albania. Water had soaked their stuff as well. Of course, the water spilled over into the desk. It also had some papers on it. But anyway, as I surveyed the mess, here's what I did. I got so upset. And I pointed my finger at my wife and I yelled, I can't believe you did that. You've got water all over our bank statements and credit card statements and Gabe and Erica stuff. And, and woman, you're going to have to just figure out how to get out of this mess by yourself. It serves you right. You should have been more careful. And I sat back down at the table to finish eating my bowl of elephant tracks ice cream. <laughs> by the way, I'm now living at another location, okay? <laughs> now, before you judge me, and post what I just said on social media, please listen to the rest of the story. You need to hear the rest of the story before making a complete judgment on your pastor. But before I finish the story, I want to insert this and, and say, some of you believe that's what God is like. 
you feel that after we have made a mess of things that God stares down and He points His finger at us and yells at us. He says, this mess is your fault. You should have been more careful. You're on your own, bud. You figure it out. Good luck cleaning it up. And once you get it all cleaned up, you can call on me and we'll talk. There are a lot of people that see God in that light. Now back to our story. I really hope that you don't believe for one moment that I yelled at my wife and pointed my finger in her face and left her to clean up that mess by herself because I didn't. I I hope that you know me better than that. But some of you, you still think that's the way that God is. And so listen to this. If you think that's the way God is and He looks down at the mess that you've created and He yells at you, but you happen to have enough confidence in me to think that I wouldn't yell at my wife in that situation, do you know what that would mean? That would mean that I have more compassion than God. It would mean that I'm more godly than God. And that, of course, is simply not true. But anyway, here's the way that I reacted. I I, I did what I believe any good husband here would do. I, I didn't yell at my wife. I didn't stick my finger in her face. And I jumped up and left my precious ice cream on the table. And even though I didn't know exactly where to begin, the mess was such a big mess, I at least acted like I was helping. I was faking it, but... I, I, I grabbed some, some of our documents and lifted them out of the pool of water. Water was just pouring out and tried to mop up the water with some rags. I, I cleaned up the water that had seeped onto our desk. I, I, I did what any good husband would do. Now, back to our lesson. And I know that's a crude Cedar County story, but in a similar way, 4,000 years ago, mankind had so made such a mess out of our world, they had polluted it with every type of wickedness. We think about injustice in our world, but we really can't even comprehend the injustices of the ancient world where there was no law. It was truly survival of the fittest. It was survival of the richest. It was a chaotic world that would have been so offensive to our modern-day sensibilities. But anyway, God stared down into that wicked world and and realized that sin had taken hold of humanity and it was as if God had a decision to make. He could yell at humanity and, and point his finger our way and say, this is your fault, you jerks. How dare you mess up my world and I'm out of here and maybe even hang a big out of order sign over the earth and go to another planet and start all over again. Or... Or he could wade into this mess and try to find a starting point for cleaning it up. And thankfully, God decided to wade into the mess of humanity. And around 1876 B.C., that's before Christ, God did so by calling a man named Abraham. And he called him to be his point man in trying to fix the mess that humanity had created. Now, as we look at Abraham, and and this is so interesting, Abraham was not a Billy Graham sort of guy. He wasn't a super saint. He wasn't even squeaky clean in all of his dealings. To be truthful, Abraham wasn't always truthful. He had some real issues. I mean, just just one example, and and this took place when he was going through Egypt with his wife, Sarah, who who must have been an incredibly beautiful lady, but, but Pharaoh happened to see her and said, I want her. And so he sent his servants to Abraham and asked, is this your wife? And, and Abraham had already thought through this response because he thought, you know what? If, if he thinks, uh, you know, she's my wife, then he will kill me. He would take his life and then take his wife. 
And, uh, and so Abraham, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but Abraham being the courageous man of God, he said, you know, uh, Pharaoh, Sarah, Sarah is more like a sister to me. You can have her. And, and I was just studying this, and, and it's interesting, and, and, and this is, you'll have to just look this up in the Bible, but, but it says as a result, when Abraham gave his wife to, to Pharaoh, it said that uh, Pharaoh gave sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. So he traded his wife for all of these animals and servants. So Abraham, this is Abraham, the the. the the hero of the story, the point man God chose to help begin the cleanup process in the world. Anyway, here's what God said to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. So Abraham, I've chosen you, and I'm asking you to leave not only your home, but I'm asking you to leave your friends and even your country. And, and furthermore, I'm asking you to go someplace I'm not going to tell you yet. But I'll make it known to you eventually, I just need you to move. Well, after dropping that bombshell, by the way, can you imagine God telling you that? I mean, think about it. Can you imagine God telling you, okay, Cody, I want you to leave Eldorado Springs. Yeah, you say, yeah, anytime. Huh? <laughs> um, not only Eldorado Springs, but I want you to leave Missouri. I want you to leave America. Start moving, bud. And I'll tell you along the way where we're going. Just start moving. Well, after dropping that bombshell, uh, in order to help encourage Abraham, God made three interesting promises to him. Number one, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, he said, I will make you into a great nation, which came true. In fact, it's super interesting here. The Arab nations would say, well, we're those great nations. And then the nation of Israel would say, no, we're that great nation. And then Christians would say, well, Christian nations, those are the great nations. And, and, and the truth is that many great nations came from Abraham. Now, when God told Abraham, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation, Abraham could have raised his hand and said, uh, God, are you aware that great nations are developed over a long period of time? And so this is going to be a long, long process. And, and I'm not a spring chicken anymore. And he was about 75 when they about this time and said, so I'll never see that happen. And it would almost be like someone calling 911 saying, I have an emergency. I need an ambulance right now. But the dispatcher saying, oh, you need an ambulance? Well, we're in the process of building uh, an ambulance. We've ordered the pieces and the parts to put it together. As soon as we get it put together, all assembled, we'll respond to your emergency. And, and that promise of, of making Abraham's descendants into a great nation was like that. But anyway, that was the first promise to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. And that did come true. Here's promise number two. I will make your name great. Now, let's see if this came true. I need everybody to participate here. If you have heard of Abraham, and I'm talking about before today's sermon, if you've heard the name Abraham in the Bible, would you please raise your hand and just keep it up? If you've heard Abraham. Whoa, that's amazing. You've heard of Abraham. How about this guy? Have you heard of Keter Leomer? One, two, three, four. Um, Keter Leomer was actually a famous king. He was king of Elam. 
Um, could you find Elam on the map today? No, it's no longer there. Uh, it, it, it used to be right above the very tip of the Persian Gulf and a place called Persia. Now it's the country of Iran. Um, but Elam is no longer there. There's dirt there, but no kingdom of Elam. But what's interesting is that in the early days of Abraham, nobody knew who Abraham was. Everybody knew who Keter Leomer was. He was a king, famous king. But anyway, the second promise God gave to this, nobody named Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. And, 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 and here we are some 4,000 years later, halfway around the world, in a different country, a different language, a different culture, way back off in the sticks of rural Missouri, where we have ticks and chiggers, and our water is bad, and our grammar is bad. But everybody here today said, oh yeah, Abraham... I know who Abraham is. Third promise. And you will be a blessing. I will bless, verse 3, bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, meaning all the people groups, will be blessed through you. And the Muslim nations would say, that's us. I mean, Abraham's ours. The Jewish people would say, that's us. Abraham's ours. And all the Christians would say, no, no, no. He's talking about us. Abraham is our spiritual father. Well, as God calls Abraham, I'm sure at the very beginning he was flattered, but then he began to have some doubts. And, and again, Abraham's not a young dude at this point. And so when God says to him, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants into a nation and the whole world will be blessed through you. Abraham realizes, wait a minute, descendants? Uh, God, did you forget I don't even have any kids? Besides that, God, I'm an old man. And don't tell my wife I said this about her, but my wife is an old woman. And not having kids is one of our greatest sorrows, but it's reality. And at this stage in our lives, we're too old to have kids. Which, by the way, meant this. When Abraham died, everything he owned would not go to a relative. Do you know who it would go to? We read that in Genesis 15, verse 2. Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. There it is. Abraham said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So God, you've promised that I'm going to be a great nation. My name's going to be great. Everybody's going to be blessed through my heirs. But God, I wonder if he just said, God, I don't care about being a great nation. I just want, I just want a son. I don't want to leave everything to my servant, Eliezer. Well, we read where Abraham is praying one night, and I can just sense there's that desperation. You prayed that way. You know, you're just desperate for an answer from God. And here's what God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. In other words, Abraham, don't worry. Yeah, you're no man, and... You may think your wife is over the hill, but good news, Abraham, you're going to be a daddy. You're going to have a flesh and blood heir. And then God said, verse 5, he took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Now, you know, we're away from major city lights. We can see quite a few stars, but 
back in Abraham's day in that huge Middle Eastern sky that stretched from horizon to horizon. You could see way more stars than we can. You could see galaxies and the Milky Way stuff that we can't see. And God says, Abraham, see those stars. Count them if you can. And, but knowing they were far more, they were far too numerous to count. Look what he said to Abraham in verse 5. He said, so shall your offspring be. In other words, Abraham, I know you don't have a son, but I want you to trust me with something you're going to have a hard time trusting me with. You will have a son. And from your flesh and blood heir, they will be like the stars. There will be more people than you can even count. And then something amazing happens. I, I, I wish Jeremy were up here on the drum and just do a drum roll because we get to this statement of, I get chills just thinking about it that our lesson is built on. And, and remember this, this statement is from an ancient, ancient text 4,000 years ago that was before the Ten Commandments. It was before the law came about. It was 2,000 years before Jesus Christ. But this statement has such profound, uh, such incredibly profound implications for every one of us today. Because in this statement, listen, as best as we can tell, for the very first time in recorded history, God defines the terms of the desired relationship He wants between God and mankind. And it helps answer the question that we posed at the very beginning. Can I know? Can I know if I'm right with God? Can I have the assurance that if I die, I will go to heaven? Can I know in this life? And interestingly enough, <laughs> this statement is where Christians go one direction, Muslims go another direction, and the Jewish people go another direction. Here's the statement. Drum roll. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited, credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham said, I have no children, so there's no way I should be able to have descendants as plentiful as the stars in heavens. But God, you say that I will, so I trust you, I believe you. And in that moment, in that simple expression of pure and unwavering faith, God credited Abraham with a right standing with him. And to my knowledge, that's the first indication to fallen mankind that would mess up the world. The first indication that he or she can know with confidence that they are in a right standing with God. And remember I said that Christianity, Islam, Judaism all came together around Abraham but they all went their separate ways at Abraham as well. And here's what happened. The Jewish people would completely miss this. Years would go by and they would say, well, the way to, write ha to have a right standing with, 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 with God is to make sure you're Jewish and you've got to be circumcised. And, and if you're a non-Jew, if you're a Gentile, well, we'll kind of graft you in, but you've got to become Jewish and follow our rules. And with Islam, 600 years or so after Jesus, the prophet Muhammad would come along and say, no, no, you know, the way to have right standing with God is you must do works of righteousness. And, and at the end of the li your life, your good works will be measured against your bad works. And Allah will determine if you have righteous standing and you've got to be at least 51% good to make it to paradise. But sorry, you can't know until you die. But we as Christians would take that statement coupled with the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 
where it says, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And that crucially important concept would be made clear to us that that the way that you enter into a relationship with God is not through the country of your birth, as the Jews tried to say. It would not be through the behavior of being good enough, as the Muslims would say. It's through belief, trust. It's by grace through faith. And you can know. And even though Christians down through the years would at times get off track and they would begin to try to earn their salvation through dress codes and right behaviors and right doctrines, yet we would keep keep coming back to the fact that salvation is by grace through faith. Salvation is by grace through faith. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's not a guessing game. We can know that we will have peace with God. There can be the assurance. And 4,000 years ago, God revealed to Abraham... An amazing secret that if he trusted God and believed him and obeyed him, that God would credit that to him as righteousness and give him the gift of a right standing with him. So here's the question and then we'll stop. What level, what level of trust and faith do you have in God? And by the way, this is not easy believism. I know there's this whole thing going around. Well, all you got to do is just believe in God and you're good. Just trust Him, you know. That's not what this is. But there is that element of trust and faith. It is by grace through faith. So if that's true, and it is, would you, would you have enough faith or trust or belief for it to be credited to you as righteousness. You know, today we struggle with this because we want to understand everything cerebrally. We want to figure it out logically. It's got to make sense on paper. And when it comes to salvation, it doesn't make sense on paper. There's the element of trust. And so we see that Abraham, he trusted God. And not only did he trust, but he obeyed God. And God said, I'm pleased with that. And he gave him the gift of the right standing, right relationship with him. So my question to you this morning is, what level of faith and trust do you have in your life? If it is by grace through faith, Do you have that level of trust where God would say, I see Chance and I see Robin, I see Cody, I see Jared, I see Harold. They believe and I'm going to give them, I'm going to credit that to them as righteousness, a right standing with me. So this morning I'm going to just ask you to stand. And again, I want to just ask you, what level, where is your level of faith? You know, when you take God's word and, and it doesn't make sense, and you take God's ways and they don't make sense, are you able to say, God, I, I don't understand how it's going to be possible, but I believe you, I trust you because you said it.
So this week, could we maybe just expand this trust, this belief, this faith that we have in Almighty God? Father, I know that as we do a restart in our spiritual life, more and more, Lord, we want to figure things out. And less and less do we just believe as Abraham believed. Lord, there may be some people here today that have trust issues. They, they don't really trust like they should. Father, I pray that this week that you would do a work in our hearts, that we would be people with this huge amount of trust and belief and faith. And Lord, that you would see that and you would credit it to us as righteousness. There may be some people here this morning that, Lord, it's cloudy. They don't know for sure if they're right with you. They hope so. If you'd ask them, are you sure you're ready? They would say, I hope so. But Father, I pray that in our journey as as God gave Abraham this glimpse into the type of relationship he wants with mankind way before Jesus Christ came along, Father, I pray that we would have that assurance that we know that our sins are forgiven, that we know our lives are committed to you 100%, that we know that everything is where it should be with you, that there is no unfinished business. Father, I pray that this week that we would just focus on that and make sure that all accounts are paid, Lord, when it comes to our spiritual walk. God, I pray that there would be nobody here that would miss heaven, that there would be nobody, Lord, that would lose out. And so, God, I ask that you would just help us to understand it's by grace through faith, not by works, but it's a gift from you and that we would trust you and you would credit that to us as a right standing with you. Lord, thank you for your word. Your word's so amazing. It just gives us so much insight. And we thank you, Father. We love you. Continue to speak to us throughout this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before you go, let me just kind of give you a a tip next week. And I've been doing some preparatory work. I'm not very far in it, but I'm looking to do a study on the role of rules. What role do rules have in, in Christianity? You know, most of us, we don't like rules. We want to shed rules. But have you ever noticed we keep coming back to rules? We do. And so what's the role of rules when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ? That's next week. See you then. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.